Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Remember, Remember That Time I Got Cancer. Once again, I am Erica, your host, and welcome to episode 15. Kenzie is joining me to film, to film? Kenzie is joining me to record this episode again, so if there is some background noise, we hear some jingling of collars, that is her. She's spent most of today cuddled up with me. It's been pretty nice, but today is still not going to be the Kenzie episode. I want a little more time to, re- to prepare before I get on to that one. Today, I'm actually going to go massively chronologically out of order, and I'm going to talk about my ultimate departure from England and return to the United States Christmas time of 2015. So it goes like this, about 10 days after my surgery or a little more than 10 days after my surgery, I I went to, to the final oncology appointment in the UK and it was for the reading of my pathology results. And we had reason to believe already that what I had was malignant and therefore would require chemo, but we hadn't received the final answer, the final proof the final nail in the coffin, as it were. So that was this appointment. And I don't think I realized until the other shoe dropped, since I'm full of metaphors today, I don't think I realized that I was really holding on to hope that this thing was going to be benign. So this was about mid-November, maybe the 20th of November. And mom had stayed in the country long enough that she would be able to be at this appointment with me. She had actually moved her flight so that she could be at this appointment so that I wouldn't get these answers alone because this was also at a time when Emily and John were on their honeymoon and Rachel had taken a trip, I want to say, to Budapest. So it was good that mom was able to be there because it would not have been a good appointment to go to alone because, of course, it comes as no surprise that during that appointment I was given the difficult answer that yes, it is cancer. Yes, it requires chemo. And no, we won't be able to do all the chemo while you are here in the UK. So I was getting this answer on about the 20th of November. And my visa was going to expire at the end of the following January. So I had just about two and a half months left in the country. And they were telling me initially that really... I would need to start chemo in about six to eight weeks. They wanted to give me that time to recover from surgery. That was also about the timeline for me to return to work. Though, as as the case would have it, I would ultimately return to work just about three and a half, four weeks post-surgery. I was just done sitting home all the time, and I wanted to be back at work for as much time as I could manage before I was forced to leave. But I was going to make one last ditch attempt to stay in the country before I resigned myself to my departure. I had put in an application for a promotion at the London Eye, and I wasn't sure if I was even a good candidate, not because I was incapable of the job that needed doing, but because I knew that since they would need to sponsor my visa, they would have to prove that I was the best of the best, that there was not a better candidate with the right to work in the UK. And I put in my application and like, I think the day after my surgery, I had gotten the notification that they were going to move forward with an interview and I was excited. And then I said to myself, they would be crazy to hire me knowing that I was going to need chemo and probably need 
weeks off before really being able to get into the swing of things at work. And I don't have a good answer as to why, but I just sort of dropped it. I think I sent them an email explaining what had happened and I didn't try that hard. And I, I do sort of regret not trying harder to stay because I, I miss my life there, but it, it is what it is. So anyways, she tells me that I've got now what I'm understanding as six or eight weeks left in the country. And I, I totally lose it. I remember crying, saying that I didn't want to leave. And she, coming from a place of compassion, I know, but she told me, well, it could probably wait to 12 weeks. And I cling to that. I say, okay, that'll, that gets me to the end of my visa. I'm okay with that, but I'm not leaving my life early. I have a life here that I do not want to leave. So I, I go back to work and I start, I start making my plans to return to the United States. And initially, I make plans to actually cruise home on the Queen Mary 2. I figure if I'm going home, I am going home in style. So the transatlantic cruise departs from Southend-on-Sea, no, I'm sorry, from Southampton, and goes to New York City. It takes about nine days, seven to nine days, depending on time of year and, and, and all that good cruise stuff. And actually, Rachel said she would come with me. So it was going to be a blast. The price was good because it's, of course, in the off season. There's Kenzie, as I said. Um, so the, the cruise was off season. The price was pretty good. I think it was going to run us, you know, somewhere in the realm of 600 pounds a piece to cruise back, maybe 700. But it seemed well worth it. And Lord knows it, it was going to be the only time in my life where that was a realistic way to travel. So we make plans to cruise, but we had not quite booked our our cruise tickets. And then I was on a call with my doctor in the United States. This was this was probably just after I had had my uh, this is probably just after I had returned to work rather. So I'm communicating with him that I'm planning on cruising home in a couple of weeks and that the doctor here said that it would be okay to wait and that that uh, that I also I was I was back at work and he pretty much put his foot down. He said, if you are well enough post-surgery to be back at work, you are you are well enough to be starting your chemotherapy treatments and I can't imagine why you would put this off. And he was right. Putting the treatment off wasn't wise. It wasn't safe. And I accepted that I couldn't wait until after Christmas to head for home. And I was really upset. And about at this point, Rachel and I had made plans for Christmas. We were going to go spend Christmas in Snowdonia at a, at a bed and breakfast. And we canceled those plans. I remember crying. Um, Mom saying, well, why don't you just stay, get through your Christmas plans, and then fly home? And that was the day I realized I don't want to stay here and wait anymore. I'm unable to love this city the way that I have for the past year and a half because all I can think about is the fact that I'm leaving. I just want to come home. So I made plans to fly home. Pretty immediately, I think I gave myself like a week or two from, from making that decision to sort of cancel everything. And ultimately I was going to fly home just a couple of days before Christmas, about a week before Christmas. Cause the idea was that we would get my first week of treatment in before Christmas. And 
I was looking at flights and I was looking at my airline miles and it occurred to me that I had sufficient airline miles to, to fly home. And ultimately, I decided that I was going to fly home first class because it, it was something that I hadn't done in a long time. My only two other experiences flying first class would be uh, my first trip to Disney with my parents. And I don't really remember that. And also, uh, at one point when I was flying to Australia with people to people, I started having heart palpitations while on the flight and they moved me to first class for a couple of hours with a, a doctor to monitor me until that sort of calmed down. But I hadn't really been in a situation to appreciate and enjoy all the luxuries that come with first class before. And so I said, you know what? I deserve this. And the last thing I think I can handle is having to sit by total strangers as I cry about the fact that I am leaving England uh, for the foreseeable future at the very least. I had the airline miles and, and there are some pretty extensive fees on top of what you pay for miles with Virgin particularly when you book upper class, but I was like, it's gonna be worth it. And I gotta tell you folks, it may only have been seven hours of my life, but it was indeed very worth it. Now, there are many, many perks to flying upper class with Virgin. You actually have your own entrance at Heathrow Airport. So I took, uh, I hired a cab, The maybe the first time I had ever sort of hired my own cab on my own to get me to the airport. Was it a cab? I think it was a cab. At any rate, I I took the cab to the airport, and there's a special entrance for Virgin Upper Class. You're never with the plebes. <laughs> and you're, like, there's this own little desk. You check in. They, like, have a list. They're waiting for you. You go straight through a special security line and straight to the Virgin Atlantic Upper Class Lounge, where there is free unlimited food, alcohol, showers, all of the amenities. And I don't remember exactly what I ate. Yes, I do. It was a, a Yorkshire pudding filled with, like, a, a roasted beef stew-type situation. It was delicious. There was horseradish. I had that. I had some juice and just generally sort of relax and tried to like breathe it out because there was definitely a big part of me that wanted nothing more than to panic and cry and lose my entire mind. But I knew that would not be a good idea. So I did my best to, to keep it together. So you, I wait in the lounge until it is just about time. And I remember that I started to get a headache and I had gone to the bathroom and then gone to take something. And then all of a sudden I heard like a second call for upper class passengers to go on board. So I had missed the first call. So I like kind of book it to the plane. And when I get to the plane, they show me where I can sit. They take my coat to hang in a closet, like a real closet. They took something else for me too, but I kept my backpack and my stuffed bear, my David 10 bear. I have a, a Build-A-Bear that I made in Cardiff. I've only ever bought Build-A-Bears at one Build-A-Bear. It is the Build-A-Bear in Cardiff. And this one is dressed in a suit with a red tie and he's got glasses and I bought him a little sonic screwdriver. So he is my David Ten Bear and he was my little flight companion on the way home. So they sort of escort me to my seat. They ask if they can get me a drink, if I want tea, if I want water, if I want champagne. I think I went ahead and said yes to the champagne because it seemed like the right thing. They asked if I wanted a newspaper while I waited. That I didn't accept. 
but I, I, I took my seat. I had my champagne. I had my, my bear and it's great. These little seats. Cause there's a, the main sort of reclining seat and there's a footstool, which doubles as a chair. If you want someone to come and have, have a meal with you, if you're traveling with someone else. So I buckled David Tenbear into that seat. I sat in my seat and I just tried to relax and it was really, really nice. Easily the most comfortable I've ever been on a plane. And I just tried to keep it light with what I was watching. I really couldn't focus on anything that I chose to watch. I remember that I watched cartoons like I watched a Scooby-Doo movie and a couple of other just super light watching. But I remember dinner being amazing. And I don't remember exactly what I had, but I know it was like five whole courses. Like there was a soup and a salad and a starter and then a main course and then a really nice dessert. And then after dessert, there was cheese and tea. And I remember the dessert was especially good. It was this chocolate mousse thing with fresh fruit. I really can't stress how much nicer first class dining is. It's like for full meals served with tablecloths and plates and real silverware. And they even have these super cute little salt and pepper shakers that I actually wish I would have asked if I could keep because they didn't seem terribly expensive, but they were in the shape of these little chubby planes. It was amazing. Everyone likes a little chubby plain salt shaker. Anyways, I had a, a really sort of charming time. And then you let the the what are, flight attendants, you let the flight attendants know when you're ready for turndown service, when you're ready for your seat to become a bed. And they they say, okay, go ahead to the bathroom. Here's pajamas if you want to get changed. And of course, you go for the whole experience. You change into the branded pajamas. And they fold down the seat. They put a mattress topper on it. They make the bed with a white duvet and nice pillow, like feather pillows, nice pillows, and, and the whole thing. And and by the time I came back, they had even sort of nuzzled David Tenbear up into the pillow. It was really nice. These were people who who didn't know what I was going through, but their their attention to detail and their kindness and they admittedly probably don't see many people my age flying first class alone, though now I'm again pushing 30. They probably see more of this, but it, it was nice. They were just really kind. When I was feeling anxious, when I couldn't sleep, I got up and I walked to the upper class bar area because there's a bar and I didn't want to drink because I don't, I might drink like one on an airplane, but I'm never going to drink a lot because I don't, elevation and alcohol and exhaustion don't mix really well. Plus, of course, I had cancer and just didn't want alcohol all that much. So I just went back and I said, Hey, I'm having trouble sleeping. Do you have like a chamomile tea? And he says, of course we have chamomile tea. And, and he brews me up a cup and, and he says, it's going to take a minute. Why don't you go ahead and sit? I'll bring it to you. He didn't even have to ask where I was. And so I went back to my seat. I got cozy and he brought me the chamomile tea, asked if I needed anything else. And I just sort of got it into my head and I said, is there, is there any leftover dessert? And he said, you know what, let me go check for you. And, and lo and behold, he brings me extra chocolate mousse or whatever it was. And it was just really nice. And I was able to get cozy. And, and I had slept for a little while when they turned, uh, or they didn't turn the lights on, but they came through first class waking everyone. And they said, uh, folks, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty quiet cabin up here. We want everyone to look out the windows on the right-hand side. And, and that was already the side I was on. And we could see the Aurora Borealis and... That was something I've never seen before, and it was beautiful. <laughs> and it seemed crazy to me in that moment because I 
experienced this awe of the beauty and the wonder despite everything that I was going through. And, you know, one day I want to see it under better circumstances. But, you know, not for nothing. If I hadn't had cancer, I might not have seen the Aurora Borealis. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in today. And um, thanks also to Julius H. for this song, Beltane, which I found on Pixabay. Also, please remember, I still want to do an Ask Me Anything episode. So if you have any questions, you can send it to my email. That's ericaleeconklin at gmail.com. Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A, Lee, L-E-E, Conklin, C-O-N-K-L-I-N, at gmail.com. Now, before I go, don't forget, support single-payer healthcare, go get your damn vaccines, COVID-19 is real, and thanks to the NHS for supporting my continued existence. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.